Happy Sunday, everybody. Good morning. Happy spring. Uh, March 21st. Love it. Two weeks till Easter. Uh, more information coming your way uh, this week and next. Uh, plan on Easter Sunday together, and uh, we'll keep you in the loop. We are in Mark. We are inching our way through Mark. We are in Mark chapter 4, uh, picking up in verse 35. Here's the passage. It says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Um, to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. The waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Okay, the setting is the Sea of Galilee. It is a, a, a lake on the north side of Israel. And it's a curious place. Like geographically, it's kind of a wild joint. I mean, it's the actual surface of the lake is 700 feet below sea level. And so you're not far from the Mediterranean. So you have the coastline of the Mediterranean inland, and then the, the, it drops down into a basin uh, that is the Sea of Galilee. What's, what's wild about it is on the east side of the lake, um, it is a 9,000 foot climb, 9,200 feet actually, to the top you know, of Mount Hermon. And so if, you, you know, if you're a weather person, I mean, it, it just creates this massive uh, kind of microdynamic weather system within the Sea of Galilee that it, it can just be really stormy all of a sudden, just like that. It can change. And fishermen are known to, they know this area. I mean, these are Jewish guys who are fishermen. Um, normally, the Jewish people are not a seafaring people. They're kind of a Bedouin people. But these Jewish guys from Galilee who fish on the lake, they're used to this. They're used to the, the afternoon, like we are used to the afternoon, evening thunderstorms in the mountains and out here in Denver. And so if you're going to hike a mountain in uh, the Rockies in the springtime, especially, you got to get up and down by noon or you're going to get caught. And uh, these Jewish uh, fishermen kind of know storms. They get it. Uh, but this one. Uh, kind of messed them up a bit. This one put them to over the edge of their comfort level. And so also a little bit of background um, for the Jewish people, especially in the ancient Near East, this idea of the sea being more than just a place to catch fish uh, is really important for us to understand because in their minds and in their uh, generational history, 
The sea was a place of chaos and evil. The sea was a place of mysterious, um, of where the, where the evil, where the powers of the evil one resided. And so check this out. There's a, there's a number of places that this comes about. Psalm 93, it says, The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. This idea of evil and chaos, right? Mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. So the idea in Hebrew poetry is that uh, more the, mightier than the, the chaos and the evil uh, and the torment of the seas, more mighty of the, than that is God Almighty. And it's a poem and it's this idea of God hovering over the seas, um, over the chaos uh, of the seas. And, and it's this idea that, listen, Yahweh is king over creation. Um, we see in the book of Daniel, the prophet, prophetic dream of Daniel, this idea of out of the sea come the four beasts. Um, and we've, we've talked about that uh, a number of times, but this, that's the idea. The imagery is, is that's where uh, the, the evil comes from, is uh, the sea. And then we have John the Revelator, you know, Revelation. He talks about uh, one day that there will be no more sea, that... That is the prophetic language coming from, from God, that there will be no more sea. Now, some of you who love the ocean, you're probably thinking, wait a second, there's not going to be an ocean anymore? No, that's not the point. The point is that there will be no more evil. There will be no more chaos. There will be no more um, torment. And so this story is about the sea in a storm, but it's about much more, all right? To the ancient Jew, uh, you wouldn't go to the sea for vacation. Um, the sea was the border between order and chaos, uh, between God and land and um, harvest and all of that, and between that and chaos in the demonic realm, really. And so at the end of the day, this is much more about the power of God and who Jesus is than anything else. It says in verse 35, it says that day. And so if you're tracking with us, you've been with us the last couple of weeks, Jesus has been on land. Well, sorry, Jesus has been in a boat preaching onto the shores Everybody who's on the land, on the soil. He's talked about seed being scattered on the soil. He's talked in parables. And he's tired. Um, the reality is, is when you, you teachers know this, teaching, you're not running a marathon while you teach. Uh, but, but if you've ever taught uh, for long lengths of time, um, you burn serious calories. The, the emotional effort like to, to teach comes out of you. And so Jesus is tired at the end of this long day. And it says, when evening came, he said to the disciples, let's go over to the other side. Now, um, throwing a map up here, but this idea of the other side of the lake, he's teaching, okay, um, on a very Jewish shore of the lake. This is the gospel triangle. This is where um, a number of very very serious and conservative Jewish 
groups uh, are in right on the shore of Galilee. And across the lake is a region called the Decapolis, which is the ten cities. Uh, Decapolis is a Roman term. It's a very Greek uh, part of the world. There are um, just all the Greek influence, very Hellenized. Um, there's just, there's, it goes all the way back to the Old Testament, this side of the lake. But the idea is this is Jewish territory um, where Jesus is teaching. He gets on a boat and he sets off towards Gentile territory. And uh, he's going to a place where there's demons and spirits and, and the Roman army is over there. And the disciples are about to experience some very non-Jewish things. And we'll get into that next week. Verse 36, it says, Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. So it's an armada of boats. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. The Greek word here for a furious squall is actually hurricane. Um, this felt like a hurricane and this is a boat. It's not a ship. Um, archaeologists have uncovered, I think it was in the mid-80s, they uncovered a, a boat that was dated to this time period. It's an actual fishing vessel. Um, it, it was 26 feet long, 8 feet wide, um, could fit 15 men, and it had one sail and four oars. And so if you got stuck out there without wind, you got the oars. But um, you could use wind power. And Jesus is in the stern. He's sleeping on a cushion. Some people believe it was more of like a sandbag um, used for ballast. And he's tired. Like I said before, he's tired. Um, and so he's sleeping in the boat. That's what you do. I mean, you, you take little kids out on a boat on the lake and they fall asleep. I mean, it is just a way to really, uh, you know, just relax. And so he's human, he's tired, like you and I would be tired. Um, but this is about Jesus's trust in God's because in the middle of all the furious storm activity, the disciples freaking out, the, the hardened fishermen just like totally freaking out, Jesus is calm and relaxed and trusting. And it's what's interesting is, is many times when anxiety, anxious times, confusing times come out in us, in our lives, it, it reveals different facets of who we are. So the disciples are freaking out. They wake him up and they say to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Like, don't you even care? Um, and he gets up in verse 39, he rebukes the wind. He says to the wave, shut up. Um, actually, that's how it can be translated. Shut up quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. So the same language for, uh, in Mark 1 for Jesus casting out the demon in the man um, in the temple area, uh, the same words are used here um, for Jesus quieting the storm, which is totally fascinating to me. So if you're in a kind of an English um into English grammar and stuff like this. This is second person per, uh, singular, which is like Jesus is talking um, not only to the the person behind, you know, the demonic being behind the man in Mark 1. 
It's the same language that Jesus is talking to the storm. It's the same the same grammatic structure, which I find totally fascinating. So this is, uh, I mean, this is going to feel like off topic, but really important. This idea of a natural disaster in our country, in our world. And uh, usually, like whether it's a tsunami or it's uh, a, a hurricane, some 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 sort of a natural disaster, human, human beings have no control over um, the outcome of. And uh, usually what happens somewhere in the reporting of it, somewhere in the commentary of it, is some fool, now I use that word really, really clearly, that comes on TV or tweets um, that this is the will of God. And um, this idea that God is sovereign, God is in control of this. And I get so angry because God has, because of Genesis 3, uh, you can go back to our series where we talked about the three enemies of the soul. One of the things we talked about is the, the reality of evil in the world, okay? And that part of that evil is a ripple effect of Genesis 3, that the chaos of this world, this planet, cancer, uh, storms, things like that, are part of the reality in which we live in the between of the now and not yet. Meaning that God has come to rescue, redeem, and yet it's not all finished. And so when we talk about the reality of storms and natural disasters and someone says God is in control, it is a... It is a... It, it's something that makes me really angry because what it does is it's saying that God actually ordained it. God actually planned it. God actually willed it. And all these people died. And, 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 and you begin to ask yourself, what kind of God is in control of that? Now, God has control over, like God can stop things. And we, we can ask ourselves, why didn't God stop it? Why didn't God do this? Why didn't God do that? But the idea is that there are human and spiritual forces and the chaos of the ripple effect of Genesis 3 that are all at war with the creator God. And so I think it's really in, in, important for us to get um, our theology right when it comes to things like that. Just throwing out cliche things like, you know, well, God, you know, you know God's in control it actually does disservice to who God is. Um, and so trusting in God is the, the point of all this. And so the reality is, is it's not the plan of God to have hurricanes and tsunamis kill people. That was not God's original intent in the created story. And we need to understand that. We need to, to let that really and, and struggle and wrestle with that. And not throw out cliches when difficult things happen. Because Jesus actually rebukes the storm. That's what Jesus does. He rebukes the, the storm. And he doesn't sit around with the disciples and say, Okay, God's, God's in control. God's sovereign. He doesn't do that. He rebukes the storm. And I think that's really important for us. Because there's some Greek words in here. And it talks about 
actually the storm, a furious squall being a mega storm. And then actually what's awesome in this trans in the actual Greek translation is it it becomes a mega calm. Mega calm. Like if you ever been to a lake and woken up, you, you're camping, you wake up in the morning and the lake literally looks like glass. That's what the author's explaining here. It goes from furious mega storm to mega calm. And he says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And so what's interesting here is the questioned becomes the questioner. You know, they wake him up and they're like, don't you love us? Don't you care? And then he flips the questions back on them. And if you're a familiar student of scripture, especially the Old Testament, you know that this is the story of Job. We're actually going to talk about that a little bit uh, here in the, in the idea that God actually, the Mark, the, the writer of Mark, Mark, is actually pulling in so much richness into his account of the story. He's actually bringing up these ideas that the Jews know about that God becomes the questioner. The Job throws questions out and then, and then midway through, halfway through the, the, the account of Job, God begins to ask the questions of Job. And so Jesus is saying this idea of being so, why are you so afraid? This idea is not like a momentary thing, but this idea is why are you scared all of the time? Why are you scared all of the time? He's like, do you still not trust? Do you still not have faith? He's like, you've been with me for months. You've been with me. You've been, you've seen me heal people. You've seen me cast out demons. You've seen me teach. And I just finished like an hour ago talking about the kingdom of God and how it's relentless and that it can't be stopped. And it's like a seed and it's powerful and it's all these things. And you were with me there. He's like, were you asleep? Were you listening? Where is your trust? And I think it's really interesting because they were terrified, it says in verse 41, and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So they were terrified because they knew that Jesus was rabbi, a really great rabbi, and we're learning through Mark as they begin, like, who is this? He has authority over scriptures. It's like he, he actually wrote the scriptures. And then this moment is another hinge moment where they're going, who is this? They, they were terrified of him. They were terrified of this rabbi they've been following around for the last number of months because he has power over a hurricane. Now, there's so many layers of meaning to the story. Okay? And, and there's two or three. We're going to hit three today. Uh, the first one is this. Jesus is more than a rabbi. He's actually the embodiment of the creator God. And this is what they're faced with at the calmness of the waters. They're actually faced with the fact that he is not just a rabbi. He's more than that. Now, 
Everywhere he goes up to this point, Jesus goes to a house, it's full. He goes to the synagogue, it's full. He goes to, uh, he has to go out of town to teach, okay, on the shore, and it's so packed, the beach is so packed, he actually has to get on a boat to teach. Everywhere he goes, he is gaining crowds, and people are curious and wondering. And the opening line of Mark is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, scholars call this a beautiful way that Mark is opening everything up, um, called it the messianic secret. This idea is that you and me as the reader, okay, and we'll get into this in a little later, but the actual audience of this was, we believe, Roman Christians. And the original reader would have known who Jesus is because it says it in the opening line. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus, Messiah, the Son of God. But the people in the story don't know who he is yet. They, they are progressively revealed over the, the, the whole story of Mark who Jesus is. At first, rabbi. Second, oh, he's a rabbi with serious like teaching abilities, like he wrote the scriptures. Third is, oh, he's not just a rabbi. This guy is something else entirely. And, and, and they think of him as a rabbi, but it's, it's way bigger. Because the Hebrew scriptures, okay, you need to understand, the Hebrew scriptures, um, the only one with power over the sea and the wind and the waves is Yahweh himself. A couple accounts, these are quick couple um, instances in the Old Testament scriptures that we see this. There's dozens. Psalm 107, it says this, some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep, for he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. I love that. It's like George Clooney in The Perfect Storm, right? Uh, it's melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to, the Yahweh, to Yahweh in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. This is Hebrew poetry. Now, is this a poem about a specific storm? Or is this about life? That's the beauty of Hebrew poetry, right? Isaiah 51.9, it says this, Awake, awake! The arm of the Lord, clothe yourselves with strength. Awake as in the days gone by, as in the generations of old. Was it not you who cut Rahab to pieces, who pierced that monster through? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made a road in the depths of the sea so that the redeemed might cross over? This is an allusion to Exodus and the rescue of the people of Israel. And, and that's really only two examples of this idea of, of Yahweh um, over and control over creation. Obviously, we have the creation narrative all the way through. Um, God, Yahweh, is the one and only being in Scripture in the cosmos with the power over creation 
itself. And over and over again in Mark, Mark shows us that Jesus does what only God can do. Over and over again. Mark's story is Jesus has power over the sea, the wind, the waves. And that person is in the boat with the disciples. And it's completely mega calm. It's amazing. Now, to understand this is, is, is really important because sometimes we get caught up. And I, I get really frustrated sometimes when I have conversations with people and they tell me that Jesus was a, just a nice teacher. He was a good teacher. And the reality is that people say that all the time is I talk to them about faith and they wrestle with scripture and, and they'll say, yeah, I believe Jesus is a nice teacher. But here's the thing. Some of us fall into this as well. Some of us have, the reality is, if you look at our actions and how we live our lives and, 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 and really are honest with that, our actions actually back up the theory that Jesus is just a nice teacher. Or as I think it's Craig Rochelle says, our actions actually show the world that we're functional atheists. Right? I mean, Jesus asks them, why are you so scared? And the idea behind that is, why are you, why are you so scared all the time? Why are you so anxious about everything? And when you read this story about Jesus, and he has these, these moments where he's like, loving on tax collectors and, 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 and having a meal with prostitutes and sinners and he's healing the sick and the lame and the cripple. And, and he's, I mean, this is the kind of, this is who God is. This is who God is. Jesus is walking into uh, the world and he's got uh, no anxiety towards people and with what's happening. A demonic... Uh, a, a, someone who's who's possessed by an evil spirit. It doesn't give Jesus anxiety. He doesn't push away from that. He he goes towards like storms. Let's just put it that way. He goes towards storms. That's how God feels. That's how God acts. And he's frustrated with his disciples because. Um, and I think in some ways he's frustrated with me. He's frustrated with you at this idea that like, how can you, how can you still not trust me? How can you still not trust of what I'm up to? How can you still not trust that the kingdom of God is advancing? See, we've been with Jesus for a while, me and you. Okay. We've been with Jesus for a while and we've heard his teaching and we still don't trust, like really trust. God is Jesus, and Jesus is God, and the Jesus of Nazareth that we're seeing here, unveiled in the story of Mark's account, is the exact representation of who God is. And so I, that's why I think it's really important for you and I to, and maybe it's really important for you, to, you and I to read the Gospels every day. I mean, maybe from now until Easter, maybe you just make this part of your daily routine to read about Jesus, because Jesus is God. This, this, is, this is God being who God is, 
on earth as a human being. He's a rabbi who's more than a rabbi. Second thing is, I think is really important is that uh, Jesus is with you, that Jesus is with me, that Jesus is with us. Uh, for Mark, if this is written to Roman Christians who are under like the thumb of um, Caesar Nero at the time, and there's just some heavy freak out that's happening. The disciples in Mark's day are freaking out. They're like the, the disciples on the boat uh, screaming, uh, don't you, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus, contrary to what you might feel, is not far off from our own worry and pain. He is with us from the beginning to the end. And this idea in our lives where we're shaking Jesus, like, wake up. Don't you care what's happening? Don't you care what's happening to us right now? Don't you care what's happening in my life? You know, part of my job with the police department is to reach out to officers when they've been on some kind of a call that is heavy. And, and I got to tell you, church, it's, um, and you can really be praying because there is a, a wave of suicides right now in the city. And a couple particular officers have been on, in two consecutive weeks, been on a teenage suicide. And I've had email and text conversations with them um, during this time. And, and there's, there's a sense in which I'm like frustrated. And I'm, I'm, I'm just like, God, don't you care? Don't you care what's happening right now? And, and I think that you and me are in the same boat when we, when we look at our lives and we're, and listen, many of you, many of us are facing storms, are facing really difficult things, whether it be mental health or whatever in our lives, relationships. It's like, God, don't you care about my marriage that is falling apart? God, don't you care about my spouse who's struggling with addiction? Don't you care about this court ruling? Don't you care about this diagnosis? God, are you asleep? Are you paying attention? And this story is actually an invitation for us to trust. It's an invitation for you and I to enter God's rest, to enter God's peace and his shalom. And it's an invitation for you and I to rest, not only in the, in the idea that God would deliver us from the storms, but that God actually will be with us in the storm through the storm. This isn't a, a pray, snap your fingers, God, take care of this, make it all go away. It's, this story isn't about that. This story is the fact that God has the power to calm the storm. And the reality is there's no time limit on it. The ultimate thing is that God will eventually calm all the storms. That one day, the storm of Genesis 3 will be calmed. That's what John the Revelator says, there will be no more sea. So we question God, but the reality is at the same time, God questions us. And it's good for us to sit and listen and hear and hear God question us. 
how are we answering God's question? In the midst of whatever storm you're facing, how are you answering God's question? See, every day, some of you are waking up to a fresh hell. Whether it's a loss or confusion or anger. And like I said, I know a ton of you are in the storm right now. You're in a storm. And many times all we need to hear from God is, I'm with you. I'm with you. And you know what happens is many times, often that comes from the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes it comes through each other. And, and so last but not least, there's one more layer of meaning that I think is really important to this. And this idea is that Jesus is greater than Jonah. You know, on first reading from our Western perspective, we probably don't capture and get all the meaning of the story. Mark is making a case, and he's bridging the account between Jonah and Jesus. And this is a really important bridge for us as we head into a time of just unpacking this together as a house church. If you had Jewish ears, you would pick up on certain bits of language and certain arc of the story of the storm on the Sea of Galilee and Jonah. And some of it is language. So there are certain things that we wouldn't pick up based on our translation, but this idea in Jonah of die and die down. Um, and, and this is the same language used in this uh, account as well. There's a closing phrase that says they were terrified. The translation of that in Hebrew, and Hebrew is a really clunky language. My Old Testament prof used to say it's like caveman speak. Um, the, it's, it's a double imperative, which means if you want to emphasize something, um, how terrified somebody is, you would actually use a word a, a couple of times. You would actually say it again. So the actual caveman speak Hebrew phraseology of they were terrified is they feared a fear. They feared a fear. And so when you compare and contrast Jonah and Jesus, they're similar in this way. Both are prophets to the Gentiles. Right? Both are bringing the good news, bringing a message of salvation to people who are non-Jewish. So that's exactly what's happening here. Um, we'll get into that here in a second. Both are in a storm. Both are in a storm with sailors who are scared to death. Both stop the storm. Jesus with his power as God creating, uh, the creator God. Jonah with an attempted suicide. Now, here's where they're dissimilar. Jesus is going to the other side of the lake. He's going towards the Gentile. He's going towards the evil, the darkness, the spiritual, um, detached from God people. Okay? Jonah is running away. And Mark is saying Jesus is greater than Jonah. Mark is actually saying standing, of running away from God's call, running away from God's plan, that Jesus is running right towards it. That Jesus is going straight into battle with the sea itself. 
And so on the cross, and we celebrate the cross and the resurrection coming um, on Easter weekend, on the cross that Jesus does what Jonah and no human being can do, and that is to take the evil powers head on and not jump overboard, uh, but the full weight of evil and sin on his shoulders to bleed out for us, to usher in with the resurrection, the calm, the calm like glass, the mega calm over all of the universe once and for all. And so today, here's what I want to just encourage you with, and especially if you're in a house church today, and if, you, if you're not in a house church, maybe you've gotten the vaccine and you're thinking, oh man, uh, maybe I could maybe I could dip my toes into a house church. Please email. You can email me. You can email Mandy. We will get you into a house church. But if you're in a storm today, if your life is a storm, whatever happens, do not forget that God is with you. That this is not God's plan for your life but that God is with you and the calm will come one day. And when we come to Jesus like this, here's the idea. It's so frustrating, especially in some American church circles, this idea of come to Jesus and he will make your life great. It's actually a cheap trick, a cheap bait and switch. The gospel is actually follow Jesus and he will be with you in the storms of your life. And the community of God, the family of God will, will walk with you in the midst of your storms and their storms. And that's the gospel. And that's the good news. That one day God will level out And make a mega calm. And he's inviting you and me to trust that. Let me pray. Father, this morning, we wrestle with this. We wrestle with your plan. We wrestle with who you are. Um, we wrestle with the questions you're asking us. The question you're asking us is, why, why can't you trust me? God, is there an area in our lives today that you want us to trust, that actually speak out our trust together within our, our house church community? God, I'm trusting you with this. God, I'm trusting you with this diagnosis. God, I'm trusting you with this relationship. God, I'm trusting you with this fear. And God, as a community, we are asking, we are coming to you and we are saying, God, we trust you with our church. We trust you with our future. We trust you with how you want us to be and who you want us to be. In the midst of a very uncertain time, God, we trust you. Because you went to the cross. You confronted evil and sin and darkness. You want to bring mega calm to the cosmos. We trust that. We pray these things in your name. Amen.